0: Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Assiri, and my goal is to help members of the military thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 460 with Michael Muir. Um, for listeners, I want to give some quick background on this conversation. Um, Michael and I connected a couple weeks ago via LinkedIn, and um, we had a quick conversation really was intrigued to learn more about his background for a couple of reasons. Well, I'll give you some of the highlights from what I've gleaned online. Uh, Michael served in the Marine Corps for about four years. He went to Brown University. He spent two years at Bain & Company as an associate consultant. Currently, he's at Silicon Valley Bank as an associate of corporate strategy. He's had internships at companies including including Google, HBO, Deloitte, and Bain. And um, just a really incredible story that we'll, we'll kind of get into. But first of all, Michael, welcome to Beyond the Uniform.
1: Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. Happy to be here.
0: So first thing I wanted to just kind of dig into to the degree to which you're you're comfortable talking about it on a podcast. Um I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background uh growing up because it's very different than my experience growing up. I imagine it's very different than many of our listeners.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's I I get this question a, a lot. Um and I'm I'm happy to jump into it. So I'm originally from Wisconsin, southeast Wisconsin a town called Kenosha, which is about um, it's on, on the eastern lake front uh, or the east side of the state on, on Lake Michigan uh, between Chicago, Illinois and Milwaukee. And I think Kenosha is interesting because it it represents a huge swath of the country, what I would call like the, the Rust Belt, right from from, let's say, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Through, through the Ohio Valley, uh, Gary, Indiana, Chicago, Illinois, up through Wisconsin. And, and that whole part of the country was was just a very heavily it, it was an industrial powerhouse, right for, for decades. And then this thing called globalization happened. And for, for many of us in Kenosha, the, the, the powerhouse sort of the, the driver of the economy was the automobile manufacturing industry. Um, and, and in the late 80s, early 90s, that sort of went away. And all of a sudden the, the city lost its identity. Um, and I think when you strip away the, the, the number one driver of the economy, um, practically overnight, all the bad things sort of ensue, right? You get this, this shrinking tax base, um, which which leaves services, social services underfunded. And then you get, um, you know, the, the follow on sort of effects, namely unemployment, um, um, people just leaving in droves, the people who can, the people who stay behind sort of fall into this trap of, um, substance abuse, alcoholic, you know, and, and drug addiction, um, crime, and and just like a, a lost identity, and that that's sort of enter Michael Muir. That's that's where I grew up. Um, in was born there in 1991, and again, sort of on the tail end of of, of the economy slipping away. Um, and I had a, a rough, I was just born into a rough situation. My my mother was married before she had me. Uh, had four kids. The marriage was on the rocks. She met my father, and um, you know they they hit it off. And eventually, my my mother got divorced, had me, but simultaneously slipped into to substance abuse, um, and things fell to shambles almost right away. And and that that's what I was born into, which was my mother was uh, uh, an alcoholic and and a drug addict. Um, my first couple of years, I was. I was in a, a group home for for kids while both my parents were were in prison off and on. Um, and then w- when my mom sort of reclaimed custody of me, we we bounced around um, this, the city of Kenosha and, and to a certain extent, Racine, Wisconsin, and in Michigan. But but we're homeless for 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 many years. Um, rarely sort of had a, a roof over uh, over our heads. And it was all because of, of my mother's addiction. Um, and so, you know, the environment growing up first formative years of my life was scary, right? Some of the earliest um, emotions that I can remember is, is fear um, and, and loneliness and, and being very sad and scared. Again, lots of violence, um, lots of substance abuse, lots of uncertainty of, of, you know, where I was going to sleep, what where, where I was going to eat. Um, and so I, that that lasted for years um, until I was essentially taken away from my, from my mother by, by the state. I um, ended up being placed into, into the foster care system and then bounced around for a few years, different families, different foster families um, throughout the state of Wisconsin. Um, and when I was 14, I was actually adopted by a young couple. And they, they, they also adopted seven other kids and kind of a crazy story. Those seven kids are biologically related. They all came from the same mom and dad. I was the, the oldest and and sort of not, you know, part of not, not of the same um, uh, biological parents as them, but, but talk about just crazy, you know, how my, my, my adoptive parents, God bless their soul. They were 30 some years old and went from zero kids to, to eight in a matter of, two years or something like that. Wow. Um, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll pause there. I think that sort of sums up the, the journey wave cap journey, um, from years zero through, through 18 or so. Um, happy to answer any questions and, and double click into any of those, you know, into that chapter.
0: I I appreciate it. It's so it's so wild. Um, was I'm just curious in that environment, especially with the, the homelessness period, Yeah. Was there a sense of, because I'm trying to put myself at that age, was there a sense of like, this is not typical or was that just the expectation of this is what life is like? Was there shame about that? Was there, um, or was that just kind of like, this is what life must be like?
1: Um, yeah, really good question. It's, it's, it was not an acceptance of this is what life must be like. And I think because, I'm a human being that's able to, you know, analyze my surroundings. I, I, I did go to school. I think I went to like eleven different schools before I even graduated high school. So I saw what other kids' lives were like. Um, and I mentioned that that my mother was married before she had me, um, and I, I was. I'm still to this day close to my older siblings. We're half siblings, right? We have the same moms, but but their their dad is is a different dad, and. Whenever we weren't sleeping on the streets, I would, you know, get to go to to their house. My mom and her first husband had this weird relationship. She was, you know, still part of the kids' lives off and on. Um, but I would get to go to their house and see what I wouldn't even call it normal, right? They they were living in a divorced single father home, um, but at least it was it was safe and not quite the same circumstance that I had. So to answer your question, I knew it wasn't normal, um, and then. You know going to school again, being the kid whose clothes who wore the same clothes every day uh who who clearly had clothes from from the thrift store right these things we, kids are so observant right i i I certainly knew and understood that my experience was not normal um so yeah
0: yeah, was the um what was your experience with the foster system? I feel like sometimes all I know of that is what I see in movies, which either predicts uh, my experience is it either portrays it as this unbelievable catastrophe that is rampant yeah. abuse, or um, it's this halo effect of these angels who are rescuing these kids. And I imagine neither of those are, are really truly representative, but what was kind of your overall experience with that, the foster system?
1: Yeah, so the foster care system is interesting because it can span that that sort of spectrum that that you just highlighted, uh, and I and I like to think that I I could definitively say I've experienced both sides of that spectrum and everything in between. And when I say the foster care system, it doesn't just include foster homes, uh, but it also includes group homes, which are um, you know sort of an in between when your your parent maybe gets sent to jail and the the system isn't ready to place you, or maybe it's a short-term stay in jail, you'll stay in in a group home, which is essentially like a modern day orphanage, except most of the parents aren't deceased, they're just out of the picture temporarily. Um, And so I've stayed at a number of those group homes. And then there's also this idea of respite care, which is you're a foster child who is placed in a home, but for whatever reason, temporarily you leave that home and and go to another foster home for a week or two and and so going back to your question you know what was it like i've i've been in a home where it's very maybe corrupt is the right word where it was a, a single mom who a foster mom who essentially was in it for the money it was very clear that she she was not um, distributing any of the those those state funds to the kids in the form of clothing or, or food and it was very abusive right she was she was physically abusive to some of the kids um, so I've, I've been in that situation but then I've also been in um, situations where it was man this is a great family I wish I could stay here forever and for whatever reason I couldn't and then in between is anything from upstate um, Wisconsin in the middle of nowhere type of town where I'm the only you know, person of color in, in X amount of square radius or, or uber religious families that, you know, I, I grew up going to church. We, we, my, my mom and, and I often went to church, you know, if anything, it was a reprieve from, from the elements, but, but finding myself in this super uber, uber religious family where my first Sunday um, again, probably the only black kid in the entire church, and 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 they're singing, t- um, praying in tongues on the way to church, completely foreign to me, right? Um, so, so the foster care system really is is a unique experience in that it can be so wide ranging, geographically, um, economically speaking, um, and and I, I would say a lot of it's probably also a factor of, of your own personal identity, right? I already mentioned a couple of times being a young black kid, uh, a male in particular, um, very different experience depending on what home I was placed in at any given time. Um, so it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bad, you know, it's, it's not a fun experience And the whole while you're missing your, your parent, your parents or your parent. My, my mother is, is you know messed up as her life was that was my mom and 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 i was super defensive about her and i i would much rather to the point where i'd rather live with her and live on the streets than to live in in a foster care system and so it was it was a rough journey especially when you when you talk about moving consistently or constantly you know, probably a year, say, was was the longest duration. And you know, you sort of put all your belongings in a plastic bag, a garbage bag, and and you know, a social worker drops you off somewhere else. Um, very interesting upbringing. And and not to focus just on the negative side. On the positive side, I think it builds a certain amount of resilience, right, to be able to pack up your 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 stuff and and immediately put yourself in a new environment, in an intimate environment, right, somebody's home. Um, that may or may not have kids of their own, and and sort of being able to go with the flow, go with the punches, experiencing new schools, r- really, you know, pretty consistently. Um, very interesting in, environment for sure. Informative for for better or worse.
0: Was there again? You know, I feel like so much of what I draw on is movies or books, and like in the in a movie or a book, there's some in there's some moment where you make a commitment of you know never again or you decide i'm i'm not you know i'm going to get out of this like it, it was your experience that i'm wondering like um cuz i also think of people who grow up with an example where their father is a lawyer and they're like oh i will one day become a father like a lawyer and so yeah. like they they see that role model and they choose that for yeah. whatever reason so i'm kind of curious do you see a moment in your life that was this defining moment of making a decision or was it was it not that clean cut
1: You know I think one of the biggest life lessons that I've ever learned and that still guides me to this day really was grounded in the fact of something to the tune of what you just said never again For me it was um this idea of I might not know what I want to do or want to be or or what good looks like to me but I have a huge array of experiences that tell me what I don't want. And so it was sort of living by this, um, uh, I guess, like a, a negative experience in the fa- or the opposite experience, right? I, I got to come, come up with a better a better term to call this. But it was everything that I saw and lived, I remember thinking, if I do live, if I do survive, um. It's, I'm not going to, to, to put myself in, in this position. And I think I was also really attracted to the idea of personal accountability because I could never understand why my, my, my mother, for example, would time and time again, just make really, really bad decisions. And obviously, I was naive to the idea of, of addiction and, and the disease that it is. Um, but it seems so easy to me. And 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 that's where the frustration would come. Like, why are you why are you making this decision again and again and again? Um, and so yeah, I think my again, my underlying philosophy is as soon as I'm old enough, I'm getting out of here yeah. and I'm not going to live my life this way. Again, I don't know how I'm going to live it, but um, that was the mentality. And and applying that to to, 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 to my life today has also proved to be very fruitful. And, and it's a it's a really simple but powerful framework, right? To Particularly if, you, if I've always been like a generalist, a jack of all trades, a master of none, right? I, I'm a, even throughout undergraduate years, even my time in the Marine Corps as a combat engineer, we sort of do it all. And as a consultant, I'm, we're, we're literally generalists. Um, a lot of, a lot of, I bring that up because it's, it's, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But again, I'm able to shut off huge swaths of industries or, or titles or what have you by just saying, well, I know I don't want that. Yeah. Um, and it really all started as a, as I, you know, based off my childhood.
0: It's, it's, it's crazy too. Cause as I think of, you know, as you were describing, you know, one family who's very religious, it's like, it's almost like the, the story that I have is growing up. You had so much exposure to so many different things it was almost like a chance to say, well, I don't, yeah. I don't want any of that. Or I don't want that. That's, it's yeah. just insane. What was the, um, what was the transition to the Marine Corps? Had there been someone in your life who was in the military? Was it something you'd seen on TV? Did you just meet a recruiter? Like what led to that big step?
1: Yeah. Um. So I, I did have somebody in my life that was in the military. My, my mother's father, my grandpa, Jack was his name. He was uh, in Army Air Corps before the Air Force was even uh, a branch, but he he was a vet of World War II. And and he actually was part of the flight crew that flew a plane 30 minutes before the Enola Gay. It was a a weather reconnaissance plane called the Straight Flush. um, And they they performed the weather reconnaissance 30 minutes before um, the A-bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. And so that sort of history... Was something that I always appreciated, and and I I looked up to my Grandpa Jack a lot, um, but but more, I think a couple of other things because it wasn't just from foster care to 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 the to the Marine Corps. So there was the the presence of my Grandpa Jack, who also was a symbol of of steadiness or steadfastness, and you know he was very not very much not happy with with his daughter's decisions right to see us living on the street so when i got to go to grandpa jack's house it was a treat because again it was stability it was safeness um but also i think the idea of joining the military if you're an american male that grew up in the post nine eleven era um i think i would argue that almost every young male in this country whether or not this is a serious thought, I think they have thought about the idea of the military as as an avenue for for the life. We're surrounded. We were surrounded um, by it in every way, shape, or form. Um, again, this is for, from our particular generation. What I would call like the millennial. I would let's call it pe- folks born in 1981 through 2005, or something like that, or maybe even later, 2011. Um, I'd say like in that 30-year period. If you were a male that grew up in America, the idea of the military was not this crazy foreign um, subject. You're just surrounded by it. And so that also was, was in the back of my mind, right? Growing up, um, and as it's, it's silly as it sounds, but playing video games that that are, you know, based off, off the military or, or any movie that came out post 9-11 or, you know, being bombarded with with current events and news, right? Just growing up in this era, I think the idea of the military was always in the back of my mind. In fact, when I was in, in high school and I had somehow done well enough to get a couple of scholarships, um, academic scholarships. When I was in high school, I, I had um, was working on getting a, a letter to go to West Point, for example, from my, my state senator. And, and that was like a pretty interesting experience. And at the last minute, um, I got a full ride scholarship to the University of Wisconsin which was the dream school if you're if you're in Wisconsin, that's sort of that's where if you made it, that's where you went was 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 UW and and so I graduated high school, um, packed my bags, went two hours away to the University of Wisconsin, and I I ended up dropping out my first semester. I hated school. I, I think there were a number of factors going on. Part of it was I was still grappling with with my quite frankly just really terrible childhood and I didn't feel like, I had gotten away from it really. Yeah, I was still, you know, close to my hometown. In fact, I was still seeing a lot of the same faces on campus that I that I went to high school or, or middle school with. And so um, yeah, I made the decision to to withdraw and, and pack my bags. And my adoptive parents were like, Are you crazy? You got a full ride scholarship. Are you sure you want to do this? I said, Yeah. They said, What are you gonna do? I said, I wanna move to California. And I had never even been to California. But I just wanted to go. I wanted to go west towards the direction of the sunset. It was, it was one of these things that was just always in my mind. Um, so I did that, left school, packed up my bags. I saved up money for for that, uh, throughout that winter and, and spring of what would have been my freshman year, uh, worked a couple of odd jobs, and then got in the U-Haul in June and, and packed my bags and, and moved to San Diego. Again, I had never even been to San Diego, but ended up there. And if you know anything about the military, San Diego is a pretty big military town. And so I lived there for a couple of years. And, you know, I was surrounded by veterans or or active duty personnel. And I was out meeting people and really exploring the area. And time and time again, the idea of the military would just sort of present itself in front of me. Um, And so I decided to do some more research. And I'm one of these people that just goes down the rabbit hole. Uh, if I'm doing something on the internet, I, before you know it, I have 50 tabs open. And 49 of those 50 tabs were all about the Marine Corps of, of you know, of all the branches. Like, this is the one that I want. And I walked into a recruiter's office in San Diego and said, I want to be a Marine. And, and they, you know, they gave me the, the ASVAB, that aptitude test and um not to toot my horn but i crushed it I, th- I got a 99 the first time i took it and the recruiter thought i cheated and he he it's it's funny because he became like a mentor mine. but he made me go back and take it again um and i think i got a 95 and he's like okay you're you're serious and um and then he he actually asked me he said why are you so you know i've never seen you before and within the first you know day of meeting you 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 take this asvab and you say yes yeah, sign me up um usually when we have people that come in here like this, they're running from something. And so they thought maybe I was running from something legal, some legal issues running from the law, which I was not. Um, but it, I'll always remember that because I wanted my initial response like, no, I just, this is really what I want to do. But looking back on it, it did seem like I was running away from, again, my the circumstances of my birth, my childhood, um, and I wanted more and I wanted better. And, and I saw the Marine Corps as a challenge. I saw it as a, an outlet for aggression that I had, um, and in anger. Um, I wanted to go fight and, um, but I also saw it as a, as a means for upward mobility, right. It, especially once I got close to my recruiter in particular and, um, you know, saw that he ha- was married and, and had a successful marriage and, and, and things like that. It, it was very appealing. Um, and so, yeah, the, the rest of the sister enlisted in 2011 out of San Diego, went to boot camp um, on the West coast in San Diego and camp Pendleton, um, and did, did, did the Marine
0: Corps. Is that, I want to make sure I'm not making things up. Is that a through line in your life where, you know, you're in, you're in Wisconsin, you have this sense of California and you are, in a car, you're you're like, like you're there, you're like, like following this intuition. And then you're surrounded by veterans, you're talking to people, you do your research and you're like, I'm I'm in like, it just, it seems like two instances of some sort of intuition, yeah. a radical decision. And you're like a hundred percent in and move before people even have wrapped their head around the concept. Is that kind of consistent with Brown and Bain and SV? Yeah. Like is that, is that kind of a consistent trait? Yeah, Justin,
1: I'm. I actually got goosebumps right now because uh, my wife would tell you that I'm the most impatient person in the world, and I think it's really just a vestige of what you just described. And quite honestly, talking about it and kind of coming to terms with it, yeah, that is a a, a pattern which is um, identifying something that I want and and attacking it full speed. And there's nothing else on my mind. i, I yeah. it's it's the it consumes me for better or worse. And I, I and when I say consumes me, I mean consumes my thoughts, consumes my actions. I'm researching everything there's to research about it. um I, I dream about it. i I think about it all the time. and it and it comes true. It, it, it's it's wild. And I've every single major event in my life, has been this way. And it sounds, it it sounds absurd really to say like, I'm just thinking about it and it comes true. But I know now I'm I'm 31 years old. I'm so used to this feeling that it's, it's almost like a a superpower if you will. It's, if I want something bad enough, I just wait for it to consume me and and it it comes true. Um, And so, yeah, the idea of moving to California, the idea of the Marine Corps the idea of like being the best marine in my in my boot camp platoon, so on and so forth. The idea of getting out and going to school and like I'm going to go to this school, uh, or I'm going to get this job. That's exactly how it's happened, and it happens really, really fast. But it, in my mind, it feels normal. But my wife would, for example, again would would consider it impatient or or or, or way too fast. Um, but I, not to derail it, but I, I, I'm a fan of Wisconsin sports teams and, and the Milwaukee Bucks won the championship a couple of years ago. And there's this moment where Giannis Antetokounmpo, our all-star, he just won the championship. And you see him sitting on, the, on one of the chairs, the confetti's falling, and he just sort of soaks it all in. And maybe 30 seconds, he, he's sitting there absorbing it. And I, I could relate to him. It was, he wanted this. He went out and he got it. And he basks in the glory for, for about 30 seconds. And then they finally interview him and they say, Giannis, you know, congratulations. How do you feel? What are you going to do? And he said, I've, I'm ready to win another one. Let's go do it again. Right. And a lot of people would say, slow down, enjoy the moment, right. Be a little more mindful. And, um, and he did that. It was just his scale of that is so short. And that I I, I could relate to it. I remember watching that and and just feeling um. You know, a deep sense of, of semblance. And, and I think it's the same thing. It's, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps, or I'm going to move to California, or I'm going to go to Brown, right? And the decision was really quick, but I was very sure in it. And to this day, um, yeah, it's it's a, it is my, my, you know, how I operate, if you will. Yeah.
0: I love that. I think that's a different different level of wisdom to be able to trust your instincts. And I don't um, I don't view it you know, from the little bits I know of you and I've seen this before. it's like not rash. it's it's a yeah. one three seven thinking where it feels like you're skipping ahead, but it's like you're moving very quickly mentally, but you're also, you know, the story that you told us about San Diego is you're running into veterans everywhere. Yeah. You're meeting yeah. people. So it's not it's not like you moved there and you went to the recruiter, like you had your 50 tabs open. You're very right. quickly processing. It seems like a very quick processing of information, but also a very um, healthy connection to intuition and a healthy self-trust to follow that intuition. And like those three things in tandem are really a force to be reckoned with. Um, I'm curious, you know, I want to, I want to talk about life post Marines, but I'm just, one thing I would love to hear about is I, um, when I think about my experience in the military, I think of exposure to a lot of people with different backgrounds. I think of a complete lack of control over most of my life. I think of moving around frequently and and we could kind of continue on these things, but those are three things that I associate with, Par for the course growing up, like you didn't have control over things, yeah. you were exposed to a lot of different things and I'm just kind of curious, like do you feel like your background in hindsight kind of prepared you in a way for what life was like in the marines
1: yeah totally totally hundred percent um it was it was everything that I desired, which was you know. Yeah, I guess you could say you could see it as a similar circumstance or an extension of what I was used to, right? Lack of control, um, ambiguity at certain times, but I actually I actually thought of it more of uh, for for the first time, almost ever, I had my basic requirements met, meaning mm-hmm. I had um, food, shelter, blah blah blah, but also a sense of true camaraderie. Um, a family, if you will, that I could identify with. And um, and then there was the piece of of the value of merit. and I could go as far as I wanted to go or do what I wanted to do, obviously within the needs of the Marine Corps is sort of the phrase, right? It's all based on the needs of the Marine Corps. But if you're good enough and you're, you know, excuse my language a shit hot marine, you, you can, you know, the world is your oyster. And, and for me, that, that was all I needed to thrive. Again, I have my basic needs met. I have an, a, an outlet for, for aggression or frustration with life. I have, um, a fraternity of brothers and sisters around me and, um, and I'm able to use my, you know, God-given ability to, to succeed. It was, it was exactly what I wanted. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was it was a great sort of natural progression and made sense for me almost instantaneously. Again, you know, within you know a, a couple of days of doing my research, saying yeah, this is what I want. And I'm sure I, I'm sure I could feel the same uh, about some of the other branches, but for whatever reason, the Marine Corps in particular st- stood out to me.
0: Was um, and I'm assuming did you go straight from the Marines to Brown?
1: No, um, so I got out of the Marine Corps. And I, I got out because I wanted to go to school. I was very much on the fence of whether or not I was going to reenlist. You know, I, at times I thought I was going to be a, a, a Marine, um, sort of make a career out of it. Um, but then the reality of, of the Marine Corps life sets in. It's like, I actually don't know if this is what I want to do forever. Um, when I was overseas, I actually spent a couple, I spent some time with a couple of counterintelligence Marines away from my unit i was long story sure, i was escorting a marine and um who had to go get some medical medical care in europe but i got sort of attached to these two counterintelligence marines and they were wearing civilian clothes and i remember just following them around the middle east we we got to ride around in like a, a private you know a civilian car um a, a land rover through the through the kuwaiti desert and got to visit a couple of different safe houses that we had set up it was just a fascinating and wildly different Marine Corps experience to the point where I thought, okay, I want to do this. Um, and they had sort of in, encouraged me to consider doing a lateral move. So that was on my mind. I also had um, unit commanders saying, Hey, you know, based off your, your, your records and your ASEP score, you should consider doing the office, the Marine Corps version of like the uh, enlisted to officer program at the time it was called MESEP. um So, you know, I had a couple of different options when it came down to the end of my first enlistment. But the idea of school and education was, you know, I dropped out the first time, but it wasn't, uh, I'll see you later, I'm never going to do this again, because I knew that, um, one, I was just very intellectually curious. And there was, not that you don't learn in the Marine Corps, but there was certain, like I, I was bookish and I wanted to, to experience a classroom and, and actually sort of be in that academic environment. Um, and I also saw, again, going back to this idea of what I don't want, um, I knew that I wanted to have a bit of money and and to afford a certain lifestyle because I didn't want the opposite of that. And so the idea of school just sort of again made sense for for all of those reasons. And I was talking to my wife about this. I was in in Djibouti, Africa, at the time. I was talking to her on on a on a sat phone, and I had to make a decision soon about my re- reenlistment or not. And and she sort of used a very simple logic, which was. You know, you can re-enlist now. And if you if you know that you want to go to school, again, I'm very decisive. And it's like, I'm going to go to school. It's just a matter of when. If you know, um, maybe you should get out now and go to school because it seems like the odds of you returning after another four-year contract or another four-year increment, the odds each contract diminish, right? It, it, and it's true based off what I've seen. It, before you know it, it's you're 12, 16 years and it's like, well, I might as well retire. And then it's like, are you, you going to go to school at 45? And it, it, it can be done. Um, but anyway, so that was the idea, and and if I wanted to, I could always go back in. I could go back in as an officer. Um, I could do the lateral move, or or I don't have to, and so I made the decision to get out. Um, My wife had just graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. We moved her out to California, and the idea was we're going to live in California, put down roots, Um, and so to answer your question, I go straight to Brown. No, I got out. I enrolled in a local community college in Orange County, California, and the plan was it's a very, it's actually a great, System at least in California, the community college to to the, the four year institution pipeline is, is very well defined. And so I was going to you know do the spend the time at the community college, save a lot of money, um, and then transfer to to one of the UCs. Um, and I was thinking UCLA or UC Berkeley, and then I um, stumbled across service to school, which I know that you're somewhat familiar with, and um, got paired up with an ambassador, uh, you know a mentor if you will who was also a former foster child. He was an Air Force vet and he went to Yale and he said, you know, you should, you should consider applying to some of these schools out here in, in New England. Um, and that, you know, to talk about the power of, of that program, of that organization, it's literally, that's where the magic is. It's it's in another vet telling, um, it's in a vet telling another vet, hey, you you know, you're, you're good enough. If I can make it here, you you should certainly try. And so that's, again, this mindset comes in. I think within within a week of doing my research, it was okay, I'm going to apply to to these schools and and I want to go to Brown and um, I, I bought a ticket and toured New England and went to all the schools that I was planning to, to apply to. And in the end, Brown was the one that I wanted the most. And sure enough, I, I got into it and got into a couple of the other ones too. And it was, this is the one that I've been thinking about continuously. And it happened. Um, and and so, yeah, I think between getting out and starting at Brown was about 18 months to two years. I got out in um, 2015 and enrolled in 2016 at Brown.
0: Um, what was your experience as a student? I mean, obviously you're like a, there's probably not a cell in your body that was the same as when you were a student in Wisconsin, but I'm just curious, like, what was the comparison of that experience after serving, after being out for a little bit, and then now you're back? I just picture you as this tiger amidst, you know, (laughs) like, you could do some damage. Like, you've got direction. You probably know yourself so much more. You're knowing what you're wanting rather than the typical 18-year-old who's kind of on their own for the first time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I can compare... 18 year old Michael to, to post Marine Corps Michael uh, because there's a whole other can of worms, which is what is it like to be a Marine Corps veteran at a place like Brown University. Mm. Um, But, but the, the former question is, it was a night and day experience, particularly in, of course, right. We always talk about the discipline you learn in in military and it's, it's true, right. We all say it for a reason. I went from being um, an 18 year old kid who, you know, maybe was was smart to a certain extent but didn't have the discipline or really the desire to sit down in a classroom and and listen to what was being taught um versus i was on a mission it was it was i once once i got to brown was this is an incredible privilege um an incredible opportunity that most nobody in my hometown goes to a school like brown i'll tell you that much and and um it was not lost on me that this was a privilege. And again, thinking of the idea of offered mobility, I knew right away, but just by seeing and, and interacting with the students I went to school with, that this was an entirely different world of, of American society with an entirely different rule set and and the opportunities are are completely different. Um, and so I wasn't there to mess around, right? I was there to to learn um, and, and to set m- myself and my family up for success. So it felt very mission oriented. Um, and not to not to minimize the idea of, you know, absorbing just knowledge and, and the 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 joy of learning and what it's like to sit in a classroom. I appreciate all of that too. But there was an end game. And I don't know what I was looking for in terms of a career, but I knew I was going to leverage this to do right by my family and set us up for success. And so yeah, you know, I was I was the, the the student that was always fifteen minutes early, especially at first, and then maybe it was five minutes early. I sat in the front row of every class, just about. Um, I I I didn't live on campus. I, I had a wife, right, so we we lived off campus, about a mile away. But I I didn't have a lot of the the normal student experience outside the classroom, right? The the dorm parties and things like that. Though, to my defense. Um, I did go to University of Wisconsin for a while and, and, and grew up not too far from there. So I knew what it was like to be at a party school. I had done that. Um, and then Marines, right, we know, we know how to have fun. So again, at Brown, it was like, I'm not there to, to do keg stands and party or, you know, go to frat parties. It's like, I'm there to learn. Um, and it was an awesome experience from an academic perspective.
0: I love that. I, I think the thing that you said that really stuck with me is this sense of um, being in an environment with a completely different rule set and uh, completely different opportunities. And I think when we first met, that was, I couldn't have articulated at the time, but that's like the, the thing that's so intriguing about your your story and the type of story you represent is like, how does someone who grows up outside of a very structured. What I view as a very structured system, even though we don't recognize it, that has mm-hmm. certain rules and norms and etiquettes and networks and connections and all of these things. How on earth does an outsider yeah. break into that? And yeah. and and not only break into it, but thrive? It's like the, the the learning curve there for me is like very hard to get my head around. Yeah. Because the things that I took for granted growing up in a two-parent household, like all of these things play a role in that. And so I think it's just wild and it increases my admiration for your story that uh, you're able to enter into that and understand the rules and, and like not, I mean, it's just not even like become like bitter at the unbelievable, what I would view as an injustice of the system, but you're able mm-hmm. to be like, all right, new rules. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in it. This is what I'm doing. It's like, it's an incredible amount of shifting gears. In in what I imagine is a very short amount of time.
1: Yeah, you know, I had a um, a mentor. I have a mentor, and we met through. I actually think it was one of the co founders of Service of School put us in touch. But he was an old Brown alum. He wasn't a vet, but he wanted to help vets. And long story short, we got put in touch. And he's a pretty successful, wealthy person, older person, and lives on the West Coast with his family. And at one point when I was at Brown, he flew me out to California and, you know, showed me around the, the Bay Area and just, you know, took, took care of me for a weekend. It was fun. It was great. Um, but it was a completely different world. It was, it was we're talking about a very wealthy person. And I had never experienced that. And at one point we went to like a, a social club that he was a member of. And it was very hoity-toity. And there's a, a very nice dinner with, with wait staff and things like that. And I'm speaking to all of his friends, all of his buddies. And and at one point he leans over and he's like, how do you know how to do this? And it's it's your question, right? Or to your observation, which is not coming from this world um, and being able to, to do that in a quick amount of time. And I, I didn't even have a good answer for him. I said, I don't know. I really don't know. It's It's just natural. But I think now I've come to appreciate the fact that um, for better or worse, my childhood constantly moving around, constantly shifting the, the norms and, and the rules by which you play are, are changing um, and the ability to uh, to identify personality types and and how understand who's in charge and just the social dynamics at a short amount of time was necessary in order to 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 survive sometimes quite frankly. And so, I think that has a lot to do with it. Right. And it it also maybe connects to this idea of of knowing something very quickly. What my wife would say is an impatient amount of time. Um, I think it, again, might be a vestige or or an artifact of of growing up on the streets. So, yeah, maybe I maybe I don't come from that world, but I'm really good at adapting um, in a short amount of time. That's that's the name of the game, and 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 I say game not unintentionally. It, it does sometimes feel like a game. It's like oh this is this is a new environment. Um, let me let me figure it out and and figure out how to adapt and blend in. Um, and then once I'm once I'm comfortable, then I can you know operate as who I am. And I don't mean it to sound like I'm I'm fake, um, but there's an element of of code switching, if you will. Um, and it's it's been vital to to my success for sure.
0: I love that. Um, I'm cognizant that there's there's not a lot of time left yeah. um, and there's a million questions. I yeah. would love to, to I, I'm trusting this is not the last conversation, but I always want to leave one question open-ended, which is like, you know, I've asked the questions that my curiosity led me to, but um, knowing you have people listening to this show who are in the military or veterans, or maybe not just a fan of the military community. What, what else would you want to share with them? Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure you say before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I, I think I'll, I, would, I would use the time and the platform to stress the importance of, of military folks, veterans um, going to school. And this is probably more directed towards the the, the enlisted group. Um, but I think our country and our society, we have what what some would call the civilian-military divide. Um, meaning there are a number of uh, people that have served and worn the uniform, but they're typically not in decision-making um, positions post-service, right? And this is very different than, let's say, World War II when everybody came back home. And and for the, the couple of decades after, the, the highest echelons of, of, of government or business were, were filled with men and women who had served. And, and I think that was super important we're, that is no longer the case and so I would just plead for for all again probably more for the enlisted side but but for all of that um, demand a seat at the table in terms of higher education show up um graduate and and, and insert yourselves in back into our country in a, in a different way because we need your leadership and um I think our society would be that much better for 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 having this really intimate um relationship with service members and and people who who end up whether it's leading business or or institutions or or you know halls of government and part of this comes from the idea that i i went to brown and, and fully understood that the the folks the students i learned with their, their parents sent them there and the university was their mission was to churn out the next global leaders and I, and i realized right away that that includes um, you know, I could be sitting in class with the next with the next president, and if there's not any veteran presence or military understanding or knowledge in general, what a missed opportunity! And so, I, I, I one of my missions has been um, and continues to be to inspire vets to go back to school, sit next to that former president, um, you know, maybe hang out with her and 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 and, and help her understand that when when the time comes and she's making foreign policy decisions, for example, she'll remember that, that young Marine that, that sat next to her in class. So, um, I could talk about that all day, but, but that's what I'd use this this time to, uh, to mention.
0: Love it, man. I wish we had, uh, twice the time that we yeah. do, but just really appreciate your, um, honesty and transparency and introspection and determination and just the role model you are for so many people. And I just feel, um, it's just amazing to think of how many people had so much in their favor that have not achieved what you do. And I just really respect, um, the, um, yeah, dedication drive and, um, and I guess humility too, to like, just, man, just like swing for the fences and, and be like, you mentioned mentors along the way. I know there's so much we didn't get into, but like, clearly you're someone who is, hungry to learn and open to feedback and trusting yourself. Like there's this really incredible blend of very rare uh, traits that you've combined really gracefully that I'm, you know, the story I have is that that's enabled your success, but I just want to underscore for myself and for our audience, just to think of the, the, I just keep on putting myself in your shoes. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't end up at Brown. If I'm dealt the cards you were dealt, I end up you know, I end up like most people would end up in that situation with, through no fault, no judgment. And mm-hmm. um, just really appreciate your sharing your story with me and our audience.
1: Yeah. Thank, thank you, Justin. Um, it's, it's, I appreciate that, you know, the, uh, the compliments and, and the opportunity to share the story. And, and I would say in this short amount of time, it's a useful, it's a really interesting exercise to, to self-reflect and, and think of that story from start to, to end. So thank you for the opportunity. I, I actually feel like I, I learned I was able to put words more to my experiences. So um, thanks so much. I I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And for listeners, I'll I'll link to Michael's LinkedIn profile on the show notes and keep your eyes on his story because I think this story is just at the start and I think there's great things ahead and and great to capture you at this chapter, putting the pieces together, but I know there's a lot more in store.
1: That's right. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it.